entertainment and media, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito here on the day of the Columbia University Sports Business Conference, uh, a beautiful faculty hall. And uh, my assistant, Rodrigo, is here helping us out today for this one because uh, Tom Richardson's off running around right now. I'm sure we'll be doing a series of these today. But for anyone who's been around our program knows we have a good amount of Canadian students. We actually have some students from Brooklyn as well, believe it or not. We don't have any Fordham students, but a couple, maybe once or twice we've had some come in. Uh, but our guest today, we're going to talk a little bit about media because he touches on all those areas. He's a longtime color commentator, a uh, longtime friend, fellow Brooklynite, Jack Armstrong. Jack, welcome to the conversation. So glad to be here. It's an honor to be here. And, uh... I don't know if we, you have. I don't think you've interviewed me since probably WFUB. WFUB, yeah, <laughs> with some kind of handheld microphone. <laughs> so, Long time ago yeah. in Florida. Yeah. So, uh, for those who don't know, uh, obviously you you literally have a seat to history, sitting next to history as the Raptors won the title last year against Golden State. Um, but you had kind of an interesting run uh, from coaching, working your way up, never playing. Well, playing, but now never playing. Not being very good. Uh, right at the high school. Um, <laughs> Or the collegiate side. So, can you ever run everybody a little bit through your career from starting at Fordham, how you kind of used the grit and hustle to be involved with the program? Well, there? growing up in Brooklyn, like you, uh, I, I went back to my high school, coached at Nazareth High School, and then uh, uh, as an undergrad, then uh, having coached in the New York City Catholic High School League, I was fortunate enough to get hired as an undergraduate assistant at Fordham. Uh, then I stayed on board and got my master's degree at Fordham. So I coached at Fordham for four years with two great guys in, in Tom Penders and Nick McCarchick. And then when I left there, I was the lead assistant at Niagara for a year. And then at 26 years old, voila, here I am. I'm the youngest Division One head coach in the country. I was that for four years and uh, one of the youngest ever in history. And uh, I had a nine-year run as the head coach at Niagara. Made the NIT. Made the NIT in 1993, and that was a great experience. And then, you know what happens? Uh, you get fired, that's what they do. So uh, we all, you know, there's so many people on the air now. We're, we're you know, former coaches, former players. And we've gone, you know, you go from suddenly from idiot to they put a microphone in front of you, you become an expert overnight. It's very scam going. It's sports version of white collar crime. So uh, here I am, 22 years later, uh, having worked in the NBA with the Toronto Raptors, and, and uh, it's been a great experience. So I've done a lot of college basketball as well in my time. I stopped doing it a few years ago because I was never home. I did the WNBA as well for a few years for MSG Network. And so it's been an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but for me, uh, I, I, you know, you just can't map it out. And people say to me, man, you have a master's degree from Fordham in, in communications. And honestly, the only reason I took that was because it fit our practice schedule. Right. I mean, I had no, all I ever wanted to be, Joe, was a basketball coach. I, I never envisioned this. Uh, so I'm really fortunate to have had two different careers in the sports industry. Yeah. You, um, let's talk a little bit about the Raptors and Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Um, you've been there kind of as this process has evolved over time as a business as well. So um, MLSE, um, your opinion on how it's run, especially the culture of the way the, way the company is now run, and especially the Raptors, we've seen it evolve over time. What's it like to be around a business like that and, and uh, some of the things that you've seen that, that, have really, that they do really well? I, I think the thing that they do really well, first of all, and 
Spending my time is consistent with Larry Tannenbaum, uh, who's the chairman of the board, uh, Dale Lastman, his partner, and they're just wonderful people. And I think it all comes from them. It comes from Larry. Uh, he is just a first-class person. And to me, I think that it, it, it starts there. Uh, and, and, you know, in terms of the executives that they have, the people that they hire, the values that they have, how they treat people. Uh, to me, I think that's a, a big part of why it's successful. There's a lot of years where the Leafs have struggled, where the Raptors have struggled, but there's still a feeling there that you're working for good people and you're in a, in a good situation. Uh, every organization goes through twists and turns, but I think how you treat people, how you run your business um, is important. I mean, and they are great business people in terms of uh, the arena, like uh, Madison Square Garden and like Boston Garden, uh, those three arenas are right underneath, right on top of train stations. So they're beautifully located where it's easy for people to get in and out of the games. Uh, they, they've made some tremendous decisions in terms of real estate and condos and restaurants. And I think they were ahead of the game a little bit in terms of that. Um, and I just think they've, they've run it really well. They do things first class. I've had the opportunity in my 22 years. I travel with the team, and uh, I, I see how they do it for the Raptors. I see how they do it for the Maple Leafs, Toronto FC, the Marlies, 905, the whole thing. They do things right. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think that's important because uh, you know, you're in the people business. And you know there are a lot of businesses that value profit over people. And I think there's a good balance. Interesting. Um, basketball in Canada. Over the time that you've been there, has gone from really an afterthought to something that's front page, both on the business side, on the community side. How's that evolved, and, and what are some of the things that you've seen there that have really helped basketball rise to the level from the NBA to little kids to grow in Canada like it's never been seen before? Well, it's the fastest growth sport in Canada. Um, and I say we, even though I'm an Irish guy from Brooklyn, yeah. but I work in Canada. You've been adopted. Uh, you know, Canada's number two in the world in, in terms of representation with NBA players behind the United States. Um, so to me, to, to be part of that, and prior to that, as a coach at Niagara for 10 years, a border school, literally my backyard was Canada, uh, on the Niagara River, so recruiting there. And to see uh, the last 32 years from the time I got to Niagara in 1988 to now, and having recruited and coached and then now been part of the Raptors to see the thing grow. You know, we're a unique franchise, unlike any other in the NBA. And I think finally, finally, people in the NBA have gotten that. All our games are on national TV. Right. Tonight, I'm doing a game here in New York, Brooklyn Nets. That game will be broadcast nationally in Canada. Um, it's a big deal, coast to coast, mm -hmm. everywhere we go. Uh, you know, it, it, the Raptors are a big deal. You're associated with the Raptors. It's 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 big. Uh, so I, I just think that we have connected, and, and Canada is a, a pretty unique place. It's very open to immigration. There's a lot of new Canadians, and uh, it's a wel welcoming society. And quite frankly, people come from all places of the world. Most of them don't come with a background of hockey. They come with a background of basketball and soccer. Yeah. So we have so many new Canadians that we have connected with them. Mm -hmm. 
And I think you, you go anywhere. I think our sport's cool. I don't care where you are in the United States, where you are in Canada, the kids are wearing the, the, the culture and the, the clothing and everything. Our league has done an amazing job connecting with young people. So young people across Canada, whether their parents grew up in Canada or they immigrated to Canada recently, I think we have really tapped into that. So now people that are uncles and grandfathers and, and grandmothers and aunts and all that, now they're saying, wait a minute, my, my grandchild loves basketball. My whole life's been hockey, Hockey Night in Canada with Don Cherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, it, so to me, I just think it's, it's been a, an evolution and, and we've hit it at the right time. Uh, kids, we had Vince Carter, so the young kids really got into the, 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 just what a great showman he was. And we've had enough good, talented players over the years and we've won enough. But this stretch, six years in a row, uh, with the playoffs, best record overall in the Eastern Conference the last six years. Lots of twists and turns and ups and downs and failures, but nonetheless culminating in an NBA championship last year. So, you know, everybody is on board. Uh, as we all know in sports, that bandwagon is uh, is pretty fragile, but nonetheless, we'll take them all right now. Mm-hmm. You talk about being a national franchise. Uh, I've often heard David Stern say one of his biggest regrets was letting the Grizzlies leave Vancouver. Um, do you think that there could be a potential a market having been all over Canada now to add a second team going forward? They talked about twenty twenty five, and would that affect, do you think that would affect the Raptors' impact as a brand at all? And then the other piece of that is how much of the Raptors' impact bleeds into places like Buffalo and Western New York. Uh, I, I think it, it bleeds to a degree into Western New York. Uh, I think Western New York is such a provincial place with the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, Rochester, Syracuse, uh, but no, there's a following there. And quite frankly, the Raptor games aren't on television uh, in in West in upstate New York. The Knicks and Nets have that territorial right, which is odd because uh, Toronto is so close by. So I, I still think there's a, a good co- a connection of the, with the Knicks and the Nets in that area. But the Raptors, I think, are making good inroads. Uh, in terms of Vancouver, there's no question. I've been to all 30 markets, Joe, just like you have in your time with the Sixers and the Knicks. Um, I have no doubt, and we've had training camp many times in Vancouver. Uh, every time we play a preseason game there, it sells out within 10 minutes. Um, Vancouver is a different place than the Vancouver that was left by the NBA. Right. It was a poorly run franchise. There wasn't great support. There wasn't a true connection between the Canucks and the Grizzlies. And I think now, if you, if you put an MLSE style situation in Vancouver, I have no doubt. This is a city that's hosted an Olympics. It's booming. Mm-hmm. It's wealthy. There's tons of disposable income. Uh, I think if you had that travel partnership with the Portland Trailblazers and we added a team in Seattle, I think it would be incredible regional rivalries there. So to me, I think there's no doubt it could succeed. I think Seattle probably would be the number one market. But I look at a market like Memphis, where the Grizzlies left to go to, and they have their struggles. Yeah. I have my doubts. You mm-hmm. know, so I don't know. I, you know, so would, would, it, would it be an expansion situation? Would it be more of a, a team relocating? Uh, but I, in my opinion, um, Vancouver undoubtedly would be great. Now, would that have an impact on the Raptors? I think to a degree. But I think, to me, 
The reason why the Raptors, in the beginning, got out of the gate and built the team around Vince Carter and Charles Oakley and Muggsy Bogues and Del Curry and guys like that. Damon Stoudemire. I think they felt like they had to be that team to overtake Vancouver. Mm-hmm. There was a competitiveness about it. And to have another team in your country, I think, makes it more competitive. That year in year out, you got the, you got your part you got your partner in business, yet your competitor in business, uh, they're they're holding you to a higher standard. So, uh, you know that would probably impact broadcasting. But to me, I think it would be really good for the continued growth of the sport. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I would love to see it happen someday. Great. We're at a sports business conference. A lot of young people looking for what they can do going forward. Um, how value, valuable are mentors, and who are some of the mentors that you've had to help you get to where you are right now? And also some of the best advice that you've gotten from people uh, that kind of applies across whatever field that people want to be in. Well, first of all, for every bright light that shines on Broadway, there's a thousand broken lights. It's a tough business. It's a tough business. And those lights are expensive. Too. They're very expensive. And you're gonna fail, yeah. and you're gonna fail. I think uh, mentoring is important because you're gonna fail. You need people, uh, you know, I always say, uh, what's the song, the, the eagle's already gone. Sometimes you can see the stars, mm. but you can't see the light. Yeah. And I'll never forget my high school freshman uh, social studies teacher used to say, you guys are all knuckleheads. You guys see the stars, but you can't see the light. I think mentors help you see the light. Mm. They help you see the forest rather than just the tree. That it's a, it's a process, I used this before, there's twists and turns. There's ups and downs, you're gonna fail. And you need people to be able to run things by and, and get reflection and um, you know, just have some pause and, and to really consider where you're going. And I think the most important thing to me, Joe, and, I, and you did it in your career as well, don't put a value on money. Put a value on experience. Yeah. In your early years, you know, what does the term paying dues mean? Well, cost you money. Exactly. It costs you a lot of money and it costs you a lot of heartache. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I could tell, I could sit here for three hours telling you crazy stories of what I did to make it so I could survive and coach for a living. Uh, I even in my early days as a broadcaster, having been fired as a coach with three young kids and trying to make a career change. But I was like, man, I got to take it on the chin right now because the experience is going to make me better. So, too often people will say, and I'm sure you have kids coming out of here, that they get their master's degree uh, from an Ivy League school like Columbia in the sports, sports program, and they automatically think they're going to run IMG, mm-hmm. or they're going to run Madison Square Garden Network, or ESPN, or they're going to be the commissioner of the NFL. That don't happen, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have to get dirt under your fingernails. You're going to fail. You're going to have to uh, really take jobs that sometimes you think are beneath you or because you feel like, hey, I'm this Ivy League educated person. And I think that's complete nonsense. Be humble, grind, 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 keep working at it. Uh, Be nice to people, connect with people, send people handwritten notes because nobody does it and stand out from the crowd uh, and be somebody that I can count on, you know, Here's another thing, Joy. I think a big, big thing. So people always say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And my response to that is, you're damn right. Because 
I want somebody that works, that I can trust, that is intelligent, that is committed, uh, that I think, you know, I mean, talent is, I mean, there's a million people out there that have a great resume and background, but are they going to get in there and work? And if I get on it, get on them a little bit and say, hey, you're not doing it right, are they going to pout and fold up their tent? Or are they going to get better from it? Are they going to keep growing? And to me, as much as you learn so much at an incredible institution like this and having outstanding people like you teaching them, the School of Hard Knocks is the greatest uh, place to go. Yeah. And I, to me, as long as you're willing to embrace the School of Hard Knocks and, and, and seek out advice, uh, I'll never forget when I first started broadcasting, UB Brown, who's been very influential to me, my career played at Niagara in the 50s. Uh, and, been, and he said to me, he goes, Jack, you've got to seek out coaching. If you're going to be really good in your new profession, You've got to learn from the best. You've always got to throw things by people. You've got to be willing to be uh, seek it out because in my business, nobody coaches. They'll put this pretty boy quarterback on television or you know whatever ex great player or point guard or whatever, and they throw them on television and they don't have a clue. They don't know how to prepare. They don't know how to do their job, and they flame out. You know, I mean, a Tony Romo is a rarity. You know, most times you throw people in it and the bosses don't do a lot. So if you're going to be good at this, or if I'm going to be good, if I want to be the commissioner of, uh, of Major League Baseball, then i got to find ways. And uh, I'll never forget, Joe, I was at a Yankee game with you this summer. And you see all these kids walking around with blue blazers and a shirt and tie and khaki pants. And they all think they're going to be Brian Cashman or Randy Levine and run the Yankees someday. Uh, in my opinion, I think you're better off going to work for the Tampa Bay Rays or the Kansas City Royals because nobody wants to go work there. Right. And actually, it's a mom-and-pop operation, and you're going to actually be able to be a meaningful piece of the puzzle and pay your dues and learn and become better at it. Uh, I always say to people, when I started with the Raptors, they were only in their third year of existence. It's our 25th anniversary this year. I was with a startup company. Mm -hmm. So... Me getting fired as the head coach at Niagara in 1998, am I going to be the TV voice of the New York Knicks? Absolutely not. I don't have enough star quality. Who am I? I'm Joe Bag of Donuts from Brooklyn. But at a place like Toronto, which was a startup company, I got the opportunity. I grew, they grew, and here we are still going, and I'm still full. Jack, who um, gave you your first break? Who was the first person? In broadcasting? Yeah. Uh, a guy named Nelson Millman. Uh, at the uh, Fan 590 in Toronto, and he hired me to be the radio color guy, uh, along with Chuck Swirsky, who's now the voice of the Chicago Bulls, uh, in 1998, after I got let go by Niagara. He didn't know who I was, but they knew, uh, and they knew in Toronto who I was, because I was the head coach at Niagara, and all the games, and uh, the, at that time, there was very little cable television, Niagara, St. Bonaventure, Canisius was a big deal to, to basketball fans in Canada. So I had some degree of street cred. Uh, but Nelson really didn't know who I was. I did a demo tape. Then I had all my college coaching friends and uh, you know guys right here in New York, like fellow Fordham guys like Mike Green and Michael Kay and uh, UB Brown and Frank Layden and Mike McCarthy, I think Mike McCarthy at MSG Network and 
so many, Bob Papa with the Giants is a Fordham guy, and, and so many different people uh, that I knew from my coaching days, a Bill Raftery, guys like that, that, that reached out on my behalf and said, this guy could be good at this. So Nelson reached out at a point, he goes, all right, I surrender, I'll hire you. <laughs> so, uh, and literally, I had a year left on my contract as head coach at Niagara, and I said, look, Nelson, you, can, you know, the Raptors were great. I said, look, you guys can pay me whatever you want in the first year. After the first year, I'm probably going to go back to coaching because that's what I wanted to do. I never wanted to be in broadcasting. Uh, I just wanted, it was going to keep me busy for a year. I said, but if, 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 if after a year you really like me, I'm going to actually need to make some money at this. But again, I didn't do it because of money. And I said, even if, even if I do this and you can't pay me a lot and I want to do it, I'll do it. So maybe I gave away all my leverage. Uh, but after a year, I, I fell in love with it, and I got my natural personality back. I had fun. I enjoyed it. And my coaching friends, a few of them said to me, we're going to smack you in the head if you're stupid enough to think you're going to get back in coaching. Do this for a living. So I'm really lucky to be doing it. Um, I love it. It's fun, and it, it's just an incredible privilege, night in, night out. And, and now uh, to be adopted in a country and to do games on national television, national radio, it's, it's, it's a thrill. So last question, uh, and it's a little bit more of a personal question because you've been on, you've lived the life of obviously being around a major media company, but also your personal life, you have three boys that you and your wife, Dean, adopted, who've gone on to some pretty interesting schools. How do you kind of, when they come to you and say, you know, dad, what is it that, that I should be doing? How do I get, what advice do you give them both from what you see on the professional side, just in general, and as a parent? What, how, how do you balance that? Well, my kids, uh, one's out of Loyola University of Chicago, at Vanderbilt, and they got Savannah College, Art and Design, SCAD. Some nice checks going out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got to keep broadcasting. Uh, the advice I always give them, first and foremost, is first impressions are lasting, and you don't get a second chance to make the right first impression. How you carry yourself firm handshake, eye contact, uh, how you, the likability factor. Mm. You know, too often today, kids are hiding behind Instagram and Twitter and their profile on Facebook and whatever the hell is on this computer thing. Uh, Jack is not involved in social media. No, I'm not involved in social media whatsoever. But people are going to hire you. People are going to mentor you. People are going to be your... uh, person that help you, your godfather, your rabbi, whatever way you want to say it, somebody's going to help you along in your career or your life because of the kind of person you are. So first and foremost, how you carry yourself, your character, uh, your credibility, your word is gold. You're going to be, you say you're going to be somewhere, you're there. Um, and to me, I, I, you know, the great Al McGuire used to say, you can buy an education, but you can't buy street smarts and common sense. You gotta have book smarts, that's important, but you gotta have the other stuff. You gotta know not to walk down that dark alley. You gotta know how to read people. You gotta know how to uh, carry yourself in certain situations. Uh, so to me, I, I think it's important, just the kind of man you are, the kind of person you are, that you have empathy and, and, you, and you're sincere, and you're authentic, because I think if you're all those things, you're going to have a leg up on certain people. 
Other people will have better credentials than you. Congratulations. And I always say this. People are too caught up in status-driven. And with all due respect to Columbia, you know, a place like Columbia, you walk into an interview, you're walking in as an Ivy League student. And congratulations, there might be a kid that goes to Brooklyn College uh, that doesn't have the benefit of going to a great place like this. You might get that first crack because you have the Columbia degree, but it's game on after that. Yep, for sure. It's, it's based upon then once you get in there, and you and the Brooklyn College student, who does the better job? Who's more reliable? Who's more trustworthy? Who grinds? Who's smarter? Who's creative? Who handles failure better? Uh, all those kind of things. And, and to me, uh, the degree is important. And, and I've always encouraged my kids. And as you mentioned, my wife and I adopted three African-American kids. And, and having been a coach, and I'm very proud of Fordham, and I'm very proud of Niagara that every one of the guys we've had, we graduated. Yep. We didn't sell the, our souls to the devil. We didn't use these guys. They're all guys out in society now that are doing well. And to me, I've always said to my kids, as an African-American man, it's very important to have a college degree. That's really important uh, because, you know, those four years impact how you do the next four. Mm -hmm. And it, it propels you and puts you in a position to do things. So your academics are important, but ultimately, it's the kind of person you are, your character, how you treat people, and all those doors will open up to you if, if you just show up and you keep showing up and you keep carrying yourself the right way. Yeah. So Jack, I just wanted to thank you for taking a little bit of time. You're not on social media, so people can't follow you. <laughs> uh, but they can follow everything that's going on at the Raptors. It's been an amazing run. And it's been great to kind of be along the way for a long, long time with you since riding the D train with my laundry back in the <laughs> um, But once again, Jack Armstrong, the voice of the Raptors, thanks for joining us on the Cusp Show. My pleasure. By the way, I took the subway here to come to this conference, and I will be taking the subway later on to Barclays. Uh, I have my, my my card. I used to have tokens, Joe. Yeah. Now yeah. I got the empty. I still have tokens. I got the, uh, the card in my wallet. I carry it with me all over the world. I have my MTA card. So, uh, Metro Pass, right? Is it yep. called Metro Pass? Yeah. And the mic is working, right? It is. I use a lot when I speak. I've spoken in front of more dead mics than an Irish undertaker. So, <laughs> thank goodness the uh, microphone works. So, thank you. Right. Thank you. So, once again, this has been The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito with our guest, Jack Armstrong, today. We'll see you down the road.